there are those of you who've been here from the beginning, who've read through the entire New Testament with me and now are reading through the Old Testament. And what I'm showing you is that you can do that simply committing 20 to 30 minutes a day, right? 20 to 30 minutes a day, half a Netflix episode a day. If you would commit to half a Netflix episode a day, you can get through a lot of Bible. And I promise you this, if you committed a Netflix episode a day to reading the scripture, just reading through the Bible, you would actually read through the Bible before uh, uh, in less than a year. Um, and so it's just been cool to see how you guys have journeyed with us in the scriptures, how you guys have committed to the scriptures. What is Netflix? <laughs> That's funny. Um, um, committed to journey with us in the scriptures. And many of you have journeyed through the whole New Testament with me. And now you're journeying through the whole Old Testament with me. And so what we're doing here together is we're doing what we call the read and rant. And essentially, uh, the read and rant is just a time where we spend about 20 to 30 minutes reading the word. And then we spend another 20 to 30 minutes reflecting on the word. And I want to get right into it in a few. Um, where, what, what's your Patreon? Yeah. So uh, I, I'm grateful for all of you who are supporting on Patreon. Um, for those of you who are interested in supporting uh, the ministry on Patreon, you can click the link in the bio. And the first link that you're going to see is become a patron. So if you click the link in the bio and click become a patron, you can uh, support us with um, uh, with a monthly commitment. And the bonus to that is, is that I'm also posting the audio of this right away on Patreon. Um, it's eventually going to end up on the podcast anyway. So for those of you who say, hey, I can't support, that's not a problem. My rhythm stays the same regardless. But for those of you who are patrons who are committing, we're, we're we're a family. And so I'm making that extra effort now to uh, post the content to you guys and your support allows me the time uh, budget to now create even more content. So glad you did lyrics. So glad you did uh, expect to hear from me if I haven't messaged you yet. Um, and those who are on Patreon, I tend to have a closer because there's a fewer of you. So it's a lot easier to connect on Patreon than it is obviously on TikTok or on IG because I have so many people on IG and TikTok. And so it's just great to see uh, we're, we're creating a family there. And I'm excited about our Bible study. Um, you guys are going to, the, the patrons are going to get to choose out of three topics that we're going to have uh, for our Bible study. I've already prepared the date and all uh, for Bible study. It will be the last Tuesday of this month. And so you'll get the link on Patreon. Um, but it's really just a commitment. I really like, for those of you who are uh, committing to supporting this, I know that you guys have been blessed by it. It's evidence that you guys have been blessed by it and that um, you want to receive more from that. And so I'm looking forward to that. I know um, many of you have asked about Revelation. You want to do a Bible study on Revelation because our read and rant for Revelation kind of opened a whole new door for you where you're like, wait, I never read Revelation like that. I never knew that's what Revelation was about. And so uh, I'm excited about doing some teaching on that. And I'm also excited about um, teaching on other topics. Like, for example, what is the church? Because a lot of things that we see about the church today is in the biblical representation of the church. And so it's kind of cool just to see us sit down and actually engage in the word on a deeper level to do Bible study. So the Bible study will be on Patreon. So you're going to get, you're going to get all inf information. Don't worry. You, you should, you should be getting a message today. I'll send a message out to all the patrons, but for those of you who are here, um, we're going to go to our regular rhythm of what we do, which is reading the word. That's what we're committing to today. We're going to spend 20 to 30 minutes reading today. Uh, and then we're going to spend another 30 minutes just reflecting on what the Lord is speaking. Three questions that I want you to ask today is I want you to ask, Lord, what are you revealing concerning yourself? What are you revealing concerning yourself? We're prayerfully reading now. Lord, what are, we, what are you revealing concerning people? And Lord, what are you revealing concerning me? This is how we read from a meditational perspective. It's not a Bible study, but more a meditation of scripture. Okay. Father, we ask Lord, that you would engage with us today. Lord, bless us, Lord, as we engage in your word, Lord, as we read this word, Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us, reveal your heart to us, reveal your will to us in all that we do. Bless us, Lord God, for we are nothing without you. We cannot understand this without your help. 
we cannot see what you intend for us to see without you. So guide us, Lord. Lead us. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. And amen. First Kings chapter 13. First Kings chapter 13. Thank you for helping me out, uh, DC Duchess. Thank you for guiding me on that. And thank you for the badge as well. Verse one, and behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David. And on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you and men's bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign to the same day. Uh, sorry, he gave the sign the same day saying, this is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart and the ashes on it shall be poured out. So it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God who cried out against the altar in Bethel, that he stretched out his hand from the altar saying, arrest him. Then his hand, which he stretched out toward him, withered so that he could not pull it back to himself. The altar was split apart and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said to the man of God, please entreat the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. So the man entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and became as before. And the king said to the man of God, come home with me and refresh yourself and I will give you a reward. But the man of God said to the king, if you were to give me half your house, I would not go in it with you, nor would I eat bread, nor drink water in this place. For so it was commanded by me by the word of the Lord saying, you shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the same way you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way he came to Bethel. Now an old prophet dwelt in Bethel and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, which way did he go? For sons had seen which way the man of God went who came from Judah. And he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him and he rode on it and went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he came to him. Sorry. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you nor go in with you. Neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by going the way you came. He said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. He was lying to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. Now it happened as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah saying, thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment, which the Lord, your God commanded you, but you came back, ate bread and drank water in the place which the Lord said to you, eat no bread and drink no water. Your corpse shall not be, shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. So it was after he had eaten and after he had drunk that he saddled the donkey for him, the prophet whom he brought back. When he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his corpse was thrown on the road and the donkey stood by it. The lion also stood by the corpse. And there men passed by and saw the corpse on the road and the lion standing by the corpse. Then they went and told it to the city where the old prophet dwelt. Now when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it, he said, it is the man of God who was disobedient to the word of the Lord. 
Therefore, the Lord has delivered him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. And he spoke to his sons, saying, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled it. Then he went and found his corpse thrown on the road, and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse. The lion had not eaten the corpse, nor torn the donkey. And the prophet took the corpse of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, and brought it back. So the old prophet came to the city to mourn and bury him. Then he laid the corpse in his own tomb, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, brother. So it was, after he had buried him, that he spoke to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the tomb where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried out to the word of the Lord against the altar of Bethel, and against all the shrines on the high places which are in the cities of Samaria, will surely come to pass. After this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but again he made priests from every class of people for the high places. Whoever wished, he consecrated them, and he became one of the priests of the high places. And the thing was the sin of the house of Jeroboam, so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of the earth. Ah. Chapter 14. At the time, Abijah, the son or Abijah, the son of Jeroboam became sick. And Jeroboam, and Jeroboam said to his wife, please arise, disguise yourself that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam and go to Shiloh. Indeed, Ahijah, the prophet is there who told me that I would be king over his people. Also take with you 10 loaves, some cakes and a jar of honey and go to him. He will tell you what will become of the child. And Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were glazed by reason of his age. Now the Lord had said to Ahijah, Here is the wife of Jehoboam, coming to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. Thus, <clears throat> for he is sick. Thus and thus you shall say to her, for it will be, when she comes in, that she will pretend to be another woman. So it was when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door, he said, come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? For I have been sent to you with bad news. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel and tore my kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. Yet you have not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart, followed me with all his heart to do only what is right in my eyes, but have done more evil than all who were before you, for you have gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have me cast behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster to the house of Jeroboam, and I will cut off from Jehoboam every male in Israel, bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse until it is gone. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field, for the Lord has spoken. Hmm. Arise, therefore, go to your house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. Goodness gracious. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave. Because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam. This is the day. What? Even now. For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land, which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river because they have made wooden images provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who sinned 
and who made Israel sin. Then Jobo's wife arose and departed and came to Terza. When she came to the threshold of the house, the child died, and they buried him. And all Israel mourned him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through his servant, Hijah, the prophet. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, <clears throat> how he made war, how he reigned, indeed were written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel. The period that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years. So he rested with his fathers. Then Nadab, his son, reigned in his place. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. And he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Nama, the, Amatite, the, the, the Ammonitess. Now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they committed more than all that their fathers had done, for they built for themselves high places, sacred pillars, and wooden images on every hill, under every green tree, and they also perverted and they also perverted persons in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. It happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away all the gold shields which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard. Mm. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guards carried them then brought them back into the guard room. Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the king of Judah, of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His mother's name was Nama and Ammonitus and Abijam. His son reigned in his place. In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam, became king over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Maka, the, the granddaughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as he was to the heart Sorry, as was the heart of his father, David. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord, his God, gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam in all the days of his life. Now, the rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did, are they not written in the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. And Abijam rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa became king over Judah. He reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. Hold on one second. Yep. He reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. And his grandmother's name was Makkah, the granddaughter of Abishalom. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David. And he banished the perverted persons from the land and removed all the idols that his fathers made. Also, he removed Makkah, his grandmother, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. And Asa cut down her obscene image and burned it by the brook Kidron. But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was loyal to the Lord all his days. He also brought into the house of the Lord the things which his father had dedicated and the things which he himself had dedicated, silver and gold and utensils. Now there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. And Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah, but Ramah, and sorry, uh, 
and Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house and delivered them into the hand of his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tabrimon, the son of Hezion, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you a present of silver and gold. Come and break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. Then Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of his army against the cities of Israel, attacked Ejon, Dan, Abel-Beth, Makkah, Shinneroth, with all the land of Naphtali. Now it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and remained in Terzah. And King Asa made a proclamation throughout all Judah. None was exempted. And they took away stones and timber of Ramah, which Basha had used for the building. And with them, King Asa built Geba of Benjamin and Mizpah. The rest of all the acts of Asa, all his might, all he did, and the cities he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? But in the time of his old age, he was deceased in his feet. So Asa rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place. Now, Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in his sin, <clears throat> and in his sin by which he made Israel sin. Then Basha, the son of Ahijah, the house of Issachar, conspired against him, and Basha killed him. And Gibbethon and belonged to the Philistines, which belonged to the Philistines, while Nadab and all Israel laid siege to Gibbethon. Basha killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. And it was so when he became king that he killed the house of Jeroboam. And he did not leave Jeroboam anyone that breathed until he had destroyed him according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servant, Ahijah, the Shilonite, because of the sins of Jeroboam, which had, which had sinned and by which he had made Israel sin because of his provocation with which he provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger. Now the rest of the acts of Nadab and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? And there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Basha, the son of Ahijah, became king over all Israel in Terzah and reigned 24 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked away, walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin by which he made Israel sin. We're going to uh, stop right here. I could squeeze in another one, um, but I won't. I'm going to stop right here um, and just leave you with a few thoughts um, as I'm reflecting on the word today. Um, good to see everybody. Good to see you all. I, you know, it's always uh, an interesting place to be uh, when you sit down and you read the word to meditate on the scripture with no intention to take notes in a sense, but simply to uh, but simply to receive from the Lord, right? To simply receive from him. Like, Lord, what are you saying? What are you speaking into? What are you revealing to me? Right? Well, what, 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 what are you trying to tell me today, Lord? Um, 
it's an interesting place to be because, especially when we do this here, because, you know, we don't, um, we don't get to, uh, we don't get to prepare for things like this. Like it's an interesting space, especially as a minister, because you come in sort of with this idea that, you know, Hey, I, I want to, you know, prepare myself and prepare what I'm going to teach and what I'm going to, uh, to share. And yet it's always, it's always a beautiful thing because you, you're, you're literally posturing yourself as a child, right? You're posturing yourself as a child and just, just simply receive from the Lord and to say, Lord, speak to us. I don't have anything prepared. I'm just simply praying. And I think that's a great place to be, right? That's a, a great position to be when you have simply committed yourself to saying, Lord, I don't know much, right? I don't know much. Please just speak to me. Like, what are you, what are you telling me today? What are you saying to me today? Uh, what do you want me to hear today? Because I'm reading this and yes, I, 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 I've, I've read this portion uh, a multiplicity of times, but I'm reading it and I'm going, Lord, there's so much here to teach, but what do you intend for us to hear? And I know this is going to be just a side note before I get into what, what I, what, what I kind of want to commit to today, but just a side note on that is, is I think this is where God really moves powerfully. Not, I think I know that this is how God moves in a powerful way when we spend our time in his word, because now it isn't about this sort of, um, um, this academic endeavor that we're engaging in to read the word, but just a spiritual endeavor of Lord breathe into this, breathe into this moment, breathe your spirit into what's happening here. Surprise us today, God. As I'm even speaking to you, I'm asking God, surprise me as I read your word. Like, show me something new. Reveal to me something new. Say to me something new. Um, I know I sound like a broken record, but I hope what many of you are beginning to, uh, if you're new to this and new to what we're doing here, I hope many of you are seeing what what's actually transpiring in our time of reading what's actually transpiring in our time of reading is god breathing a story into us about what he is doing his mission his plan his goal his mission right his mission for all time beginning at the beginning of time, for all time, God has been in the business of restoring things. We've read all the way up to this point that there's a kingdom that God is establishing. There's a, a rule that God, God is establishing over the earth. And this rule that is being established in collaboration with humanity, it was broken from the beginning in Genesis. And, and yet God is still instituting this justice and righteousness that he promised to Abraham. God makes a promise to Abraham. God begins to fulfill that promise through Moses when he takes the children of Israel out, Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, Jacob to Israel, Israel to a nation of people in Egypt. Moses then leads the people out of Egypt. God calling these people, setting them aside, giving them the law, making a covenant with them to then allow them now to begin to walk in the calling that they were called into to be this nation of priests, to bring righteousness and justice to the earth. So now God calls them and then we read through the Torah. We read the story, not the law. We read a story a redemptive story, not the law. And then we get to judges. They finally get to the land, sorry, to Joshua. They finally get to the land that was promised to them. They're given the law again. And when they, when they're given the law again, then, then, um, then we see them, we, we see a nation of people not ruled by a king, but ruled by their own heart. The scriptures say that there was no king in Judges, that there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It speaks to the reality that there is no king in Israel. There's no king in Israel. That everyone is doing 
what is right in his own eyes. Israel's problem was that Israel did not acknowledge a king. And so we see now in Samuel, Samuel is the prophet who now is ushering and making way for a king. They get the king they want. That's Saul. Saul wasn't it. Saul looked good. Saul looked the part, but Saul wasn't it. Then we have David. David was a man after God's own heart. He was God's choice. And yet God is establishing a royal line now from David. Notice he didn't start it from Saul because Saul was the people's choice. David was God's choice. David is part of a bigger story, a grander narrative. The scriptures tell us that David was the man after God's own heart. So the restoration of all people now, the restoring of all things, making all things new on earth would happen through the lineage of David. Pay very close attention here. Israel needed a king. David was a king, but David wasn't the king that Israel needed. He was the king that would begin the succession of lines that would lead to the king. This is important, family, because David received a promise that we read uh, maybe a couple, like two weeks ago, that we read in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that David was given the promise that there is a king to come after him who would save the people, who would bring righteousness and justice. There is a king that is coming. And this king is coming to restore all things, to make all things new. And so now there's this tension that we end in, 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 in 2 Samuel because we see that David wasn't it. David falls apart in the end. David sees the demise of his kingdom. He's got one son, Absalom, right? And then he's got another son, Solomon. Solomon is the covenant by which God would continue on the perpetuation of his bloodline to bring restoration. But Absalom was part of his blood as well. But it's almost like we see a repeating of what happened with Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael was works. Isaac was grace. But we see now an Ishmael-Isaac tension happening again following David. Are y'all catching me here? And now, after all of this, God doesn't choose Absalom because Absalom wanted power. Absalom, again, we, we, we talked about, it. I don't want to spend all the time on Absalom here. Go back and read that. But Absalom wanted power and influence and he was willing to overstep his father. And so in the end, right, Absalom dies, even though David didn't want that, David didn't intend it. And Absalom has a son. And now Solomon, of course, we see the tension. Solomon um, kills his son, but then his son now, so sorry, you have the person who succeeded Solomon, and then you have the one who succeeds Absalom, the one who succeeds Absalom and the one who succeeds Solomon, Absalom successor, Solomon successor, Absalom successor, Solomon successor, Ishmael, Isaac, Ishmael, Isaac, Ishmael, Isaac. And we saw Solomon. And we saw what happened with Solomon. He was given wisdom, but then Solomon's kingdom, um, Solomon, Solomon's demise came from his pride. We talked about that yesterday uh, on Friday. We closed out on Friday with that. And then we get here to this part of this reading, and we're seeing all the things that transpired afterwards. We see what came afterwards. We see Solomon's son, who in the end, after uh, chapter 11, we see the death of Solomon and who takes his place? Rehoboam. Rehoboam takes his place in chapter uh, 11. And in chapter 12, we see now Rehoboam who's establishing his rule in succession to Solomon. But Rehoboam now is dealing with revolt. 
Because Rehoboam, remember that because of Solomon's disobedience, because Solomon made all these allegiances to these pagan gods and these pagan women, and because Solomon fell apart and compromised the kingdom of God and compromised the justice of God and compromised the righteousness of God, because of that, Solomon faced demise. Remember, we talk, we, we talk about how we celebrate Solomon, but actually Solomon's story is a tragedy. It's not a story to celebrate. It's actually a tragedy. It's a tragic end to an incredible beginning. And so now we have this, this man who's, who, who's, who's at the end of his rule and at the twilight of his rule, he passes it on, but at the twilight of his rule, he is being told that because of his compromising, because of the monies and the honeys, yes, because of monies and honeys, this wise, this gifted, this articulate, this popular man now has fallen apart. And because of that, his kingdom would split. There would be the kingdom of Judah. And then there would be another kingdom. And God only promised that he would keep Judah because the covenant is in Judah. Oof. Funny how God is always redeeming things. He's always restoring things. Remember, this plan is about a king that is to come. Israel's waiting for a king. And yet God is promising it through this bloodline, through David. David had already received the promise. God's promise always stands. Always remember that. Sin, no sin. Devil, no devil. In good time, in bad time. His promise always stands. His promise never returns to him void. God is going to execute his righteousness and his justice regardless of mankind's sin, regardless of mankind's impropriety, regardless of mankind's evil. God is going to institute his justice. And so Judah, even after Solomon's demise and his fall, he still holds on to Judah because the bloodline is through Judah. It's coming out of Judah. It's coming out of Judah. Rehoboam gets the kingdom in chapter 12. And immediately after Rehoboam gets the kingdom, he faces revolt. He, he faces revolt from who? From the descendant of Absalom. Absalom, Ishmael, Isaac, Absalom. Solomon. And now after Solomon, you have Rehoboam and you have Jeroboam. Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And the nation of Israel splits. Pay very close attention, family. The nation of Israel splits. And so you have Rehoboam, Solomon's son now, who holds on to a little bit of the nation. Judah and the rest of Israel splits as a result of Jeroboam. Jeroboam takes over. Remember, Jeroboam had received, we read it yesterday, how Jeroboam, not yesterday, we read it on Friday, how Jeroboam had received the promise. He received the promise. And after receiving the promise that a nation would be established to him, he was told that God would be with him as long as he obeys his commands, as long as he fulfills his obedience to God's command, to God's precept, because the whole purpose of Israel was to be this nation that would bring God's law to the earth, God's justice to the earth, God's righteousness to the earth, because righteousness is justice, God's rule and God's kingdom. And this is what God will not compromise. God is not compromising with his rule, especially with the people that he's called. Jeroboam commits to it, but then at the end of chapter 12, look what happens in the scripture. Jeroboam, then uh, look at verse 25, sorry, verse 28 in chapter 12. In verse 28, it says, therefore, the king asked advice and made two calves of gold and said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. He sets one up in Bethel, and he puts another one in Dan. 
let me give a little background here. I know this is in Bible study, but I feel like I need to give this background so 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 to make sure that we're all on the same page here. Remember what the book of Kings is about. David, I want to make sure I got create the big picture here. David has been given the promise of a messianic king who would bring righteousness and justice to all the earth, who would make all things right. Remember that. So what's the purpose of 1 Kings and 2 Kings? The first, the purpose of 1 Kings and 2 Kings is to tell you these were not the kings. These were This was the line of succession of kings that came after David, but these were not the kings. You know, I, I've, joked, I've joked about this before, but the book of Kings should really be called the book of not those kings. <laughs> what the book of Kings should be is, is a book that says it's not them. So instead of calling it Kings, first, first of all, first and second Kings was really one book that we split into two, but we wouldn't, we shouldn't call it first and second Kings. We just say, we should just call it not those Kings, <laughs> not those. Yes. There is a King to come that will come from the line of David that will come through David, but it's not those Kings. Starting with Solomon, starting with Rehoboam, starting with Jeroboam, continuing on, because right after Solomon, this man who's been given all this wisdom, the nation of Israel has been split. And now the nation of Israel isn't even a nation anymore. It's Israel in the north, Judah in the south. In the north, now, Jeroboam establishes a new capital, and the capital is Samaria. Psych. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Psych. Kings. Psych. Uh, right? So you've got Jeroboam, who now has the nation of Israel split. Samaria is now the capital of Israel. And Jerusalem is the capital of Judah. Okay? I'm, make sure you understand this. And because the nation of Israel was split, remember, Solomon built a temple. And in that temple would be where they would practice the sacrifice. It was what they believed at the time to be where the manifest presence of God was. This is where they came before the presence of God. This is where the priests would come to mediate for the people. This is where God was. This is where they came to worship. And not because the nation of Israel is split, they don't know what to do anymore. They don't have a God to worship. They don't have a place to worship God because in their mind, God was in the building. God was in the temple. And because God was in the temple, now they don't have access to the temple because the nation of Judah has split from the nation of Israel. So now we're going to create a new capital and we're going to call the capital Samaria. Stay with me, family. And in Samaria, we need a new thing, a new image to worship in order to worship God. Problem number one, the temple was never meant to be the place where God would be worshipped. How do we know this? Because going back again to 2 Samuel chapter 7, I feel like I'm doing more teaching than ranting, but you get, you'll, you'll, you'll get whatever you get out of this, get out of it. But in 2 Samuel chapter 7, remember that when David told God, remember David had the promise of the messianic king, but the promise of the messianic king came in response to David saying, I'm going to build a temple for you. And God said, first of all, you got too much blood on your hands. You can't build a temple that would represent me. Second of all, I don't want you to just build me a house. I want to make you a house. He told David that it isn't about building a temple where I can reside in but about establishing a people that I can dwell with. It's not about the temple. It was never about the temple. You're making it about the temple, but it was never about the temple. It was about me dwelling with my people. 
And so now, David, after he said, I'll build the temple, God said, no, you're not. Too much blood on your hands. It's not going to be for you. It's going to be for the one after you. And yet now we see Solomon who builds the temple. And instead of the people now seeing a God that resides among them, with them, they see a God that resides in the building. And so now in order to, to, to speak to God or to address him or to have relationship with him or to, 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 to entreat him, you needed a priest. So the high priest would have to go into the temple to mediate for the people and the high priest would come back with the word that came from the law, from the Lord. But that wasn't the intention because God said in second Samuel chapter seven, he said, I will make you a house. You and your people, I will make a house. God never intended to dwell inside of temples. God never intended to dwell in buildings. God never intended to create sacred places and sacred things that we would go to in order to worship him. That was never God's plan. By the way, that's going to be one of our Bible studies in Patreon. We're going to teach about the church and we're going to teach about the temple. That temple thinking is unbiblical. Temple thinking is not Bible thinking and temple thinking is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Worship center thinking, church building thinking, is antithetical to the gospel and it is anti-biblical. It's not biblical. And I'm going to do a whole teaching on that on Patreon. It's, it's probably, it may be the one that we focus on at the end of this month um, because we have to get out of this whole thinking of, I got to go to the temple to worship God. No, no. God never wanted to for people to go into buildings to worship him. That was never God's intention. But mankind has this proclivity towards making things sacred, turning simple things. What did, what did Jesus say to the Samaritan woman? Oh my gosh. We're going to see now, for those of you who are journeying with us through the whole Bible, you're going to see how all of it comes together and it crashes at Jesus. You're going to see how it all comes together in the book of John, where it crashes, particularly speaking, in the encounter between Jesus and the woman at the Samaritan well in John chapter 4, when when the Samaritan woman said that, uh, speaks about worship, and God is saying, you do, you will, the day will come where you will not worship on this mountain. That God does not dwell in temples made with man's hands. Are you hearing me? But unfortunately, Jeroboam, who could not go to Jerusalem to worship, had to create something else to worship God. Because God never resided in him compromised who God was by creating images of worship. Can I just submit this to you? To become a patron, to become a patron, you just need to click the link in the bio and then click become a patron and you'll see it there. If man built it, God isn't in it. He doesn't dwell in temples made with man's hands. He doesn't dwell in physical edifices. He does not dwell in statues. He does not dwell in, in sacred images. He does not dwell in any of those things. God does not dwell in any of those things. God never dwelt in any of those things. God cannot be confined to a box. Cannot be confined to a building. He cannot be confined to a statue. That's what God was telling David. David's like, let me build a house for you to reside in. And God says, let me make you a house. Solomon builds the temple and Jeroboam's got a problem here. Because Israel has split, Jeroboam cannot go to the temple to worship anymore. 
Does that sound familiar? Because of the moment, Jeroboam could not go into the building to worship. Jeroboam couldn't go in. He couldn't go in. The great crisis of the church today and the great opportunity of the church today. It's a crisis and it's an opportunity at the same time is the fact that coronavirus has prohibited many people from going to a building to worship. The crisis in it is that there are people right now who are losing their faith, losing their minds because they cannot go to church on Sunday. There are people today right now who are facing the same crisis that Jeroboam faced. Jeroboam faced the crisis of, I actually can't go to church today. Jerusalem is blocked from me. And because I cannot go into Jerusalem and I cannot go to church, how then will I worship God? I was saying this to some of my partners and my core leaders, and I said to them, when Jesus said in Caesarea Philippi, in Matthew chapter 18, when he said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why do we think for some reason that if hell cannot prevail against the church, that something like coronavirus would bring the church to its knees? Coronavirus can't even look at what the forces at bay and the gates of hell have in store against the church. And yet Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. If the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, then what about coronavirus? People say, well, this is an attack on the church. I've heard people say that this is an attack on the church. This is an attack on the body, that the, that the, that the world is trying to shut the church down and close the church. Family, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Can I submit to you a thesis? And this is going to make some people uncomfortable, but I'm going to share it anyway. And I'm going to go about five or 10 minutes over time because I need to share this. Can I submit the following thesis to you? That it's not the enemy that's shutting the church down, but rather it's God bringing the church alive again. What if it was that our church buildings have turned our churches into coffins? That people walk into with no power, with no capacity, with no ability. They just show up to church on Sunday to receive the spiritual services from the pastor, to hear from God, from a man of God, or from a woman of God, and to hear from God. And if you're not going to church, you cannot hear from God. What if that maybe it's God at work who's shutting down all our buildings for us to begin to realize that God never resided in them in the first place? The only reason why God is in a building is because God's people are in it, and he doesn't need a sanctuary. He doesn't need a building. He doesn't need, he doesn't need a Sunday worship. He doesn't need a service. He doesn't even need a sermon. He doesn't need any of that. He just needs his people to reside in that his people would bring the church everywhere they go, that the church would be in the hospital, that the church would be in the courtroom, that the church would be in the boardroom, that the church would be in entertainment, that the church would be in the schools, that the church would be everywhere else but the building. What if it is the building itself that has paralyzed the people of God? And what if the church is full of Jeroboams who are religious, who've heard from God, but yet cannot reconcile the fact that they have no access to a building right now and in return they fall into the temptation that Jeroboam fell into he built a golden calf Jeroboam who heard from God in 1st Kings chapter 12 look at it and I feel stuck there but in 1st Kings chapter 12 Jeroboam who heard from God about the call of God on his life to lead the children of Israel, that he would give him Israel. Because Rehoboam, Solomon's son, he can have Judah, but I'm giving you Israel. And for, 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 for Jeroboam to say, if I can't get in the temple, then what are we going to do? If we're in Samaria, what are we going to do? And what he does is he builds 
two golden calves. He built two golden calves. This is an indictment today on our church. Have we become Jeroboam's? We actually cannot reconcile with the reality that God does not live in buildings. That God does not need a Sunday worship. What if quarantine and coronavirus was an opportunity to break from our mundane, powerless thinking that somehow the church resides in the building? The mundane, powerless thinking that Christians have today that I cannot talk to God, I need a pastor to talk to God for me. The powerless thinking that I do not have power in me, but I need a spiritual servant to do it for me. The powerlessness of the church. The precedence of the powerlessness of the church can be found in our dependence on an idea that God somehow lives inside of temples. And what if in this season, because we couldn't get inside the temple, we created new idols to worship? Two calves of gold. Verse 28, chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, the king asked advice and made two calves of gold, said to the people, is it too much for you to go up to Jerusalem? Don't worry about that. Here are your gods, O Israel, which you brought up from the land of Egypt. What if, family, just a word of conviction, something to pray into, family, what if this has become us, church? What if many of us have become Jeroboam? What if, what if many of us have become that? Where because we can't go to church on Sunday now, we say, is it too much for me to go to church on Sunday? But I have other gods. My gods came from Egypt. You remember where Egypt was? Egypt was where I was a slave. Egypt is what I used to be. Egypt is how I used to live. Egypt represented the things that I used to worship the things that I, I used to do. Egypt was the, 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 the toxic, destructive mindset that I used to have. Egypt was when I used to live knowing that I needed men for me to be accepted. Egypt was a place where I felt like I had to, 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 to satiate my pain with drugs. Egypt was a place where I felt like I needed affirmation, and so this is how I got it. Egypt was the place where I built these idols that governed my life and, 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 and informed everything that I did. Egypt was my place of slavery. Egypt was where I was in bondage. Egypt was where nothing was good. And yet, what does Jeroboam do? He says, go back. I'm going to go back because I can't go to church on Sunday. I'm going to go back to the gods I used to worship. I'm going to bring it back here and let's worship those gods. He says, here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. The golden calf represented the gods of the Egyptians and the Canaanites. The gods that we used to serve before we came to our awareness in Jesus Christ. Family, here's the challenge for you today. Did quarantine lead you back to the gods of your Egypt? Did quarantine lead you back to serving the gods that you knew weren't good for you? Did quarantine that kept you away from the temple keep you from serving God? 
I weep today. I weep today. Because I've seen so many people in the church today who are furthest away from Jesus since March of last year. They are lost since March of last year. And I've wept this and I've grieved this. And I'm going to tell you why I've grieved it. I've grieved it because I've questioned whether or not these people ever had a relationship with God. And I grieve it because I asked the question of, did the church fail in making disciples? I grieve this because it's exposed that all we've had is cultural Christians, people who just go to church on Sunday, but not people who will have the Spirit of God residing in them. I grieve today because I see death, but I'm hopeful today because there cannot be resurrection without death. And I believe that the next great revival is about to come. I'm excited about the time of life that I'm in and the season that I'm in. I'm excited that God has called me in this time to be able to witness what he's about to do next. Because cultural Christianity is being suffocated by COVID. COVID is this COVID has its pain and its suffering. And there's so many things that we grieve about COVID, but there's one thing that God is going to do. He's going to get glory through that pain. And one of the glories that God is going to get through this pain is that there's going to be a spiritual revival like we've never seen before. There's going to be a deinstitutionalization of the church. There's going to be a fire that's about to burn where all the golden calves are about to be torn down, where all the kings who have come into our churches, yes, I call them kings, not those kings, all those kings who came into churches with their good words and with their theology and with their preaching and with their demonstration and with all of that, who created institutions that instead of bringing life to the people, suffocated the people, that they would be demolished and taken apart, that God would dismantle the organization and the institutions that, yes, Israel's being split, but Israel's going to be put back together. Except this time when Israel's put back together, it's not going to be Rehoboam. It's not going to be Jeroboam. When Israel's going to get put back together, it's going to be Jesus who reconciles all men to himself when righteousness and justice is being made anew again. Yes, our nation is divided. Our world is divided. There's divisiveness everywhere. The church is losing power. Every day we're hearing about churches that are closing. I heard just in a statistic not too long ago that there are 700 churches now closing in the United States every month. And yes, it's something to grieve, but at the same time, it's something to anticipate that maybe what God is doing is, is he's burying the old so that it can give birth to something new. And God's about to birth a church that no one can look at and point to. God's about to birth a movement that goes way beyond buildings and sanctuaries and tabernacles that God's about to put now the people out into the church and scatter the church everywhere it goes because the temple was not ever meant to be a building. The temple was meant to be the body, that we are the body of Christ, that we are the temple of God, that we are the stones of God, and that the temple wasn't made to be a construction, but the temple was made to infiltrate every element of culture and society where God can reside everywhere and do everything through all his people. And Eden now would not be fixated to a location, but that Eden would encompass the entire earth, that God's kingdom would come that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is making things new. And I believe that in this season, God is toppling the kings who have made idols of God and called it God. Kings that have made conservative political philosophy God. That's a golden calf. Kings that have made liberalism God, golden calves, kings that make prosperity and money God, golden calves, kings 
kings that make temples, gods, golden calves, kings that have made ideologies and sexualities and all these things God, kings that make sexual identity God. Yeah, I said it. Kings that put something before Christian. Kings that put their own personal preferences for themselves over who God calls them to be. Kings that want to make me live my best life and how I want to live and how I feel like I need to be and this is what I feel who I am and this is how I feel my truth as kings who want their truth over God's and try to put God on their truth, idols. And God says, I'm dismantling the institutions and the organizations and all of it because I'm establishing my kingdom. No more golden calves, not these kings. Heavenly Father, I come before you today, Lord, first asking for forgiveness. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Father, for giving other things precedence over you. Forgive us, Lord, for making the temple in Jerusalem the place where you reside. Forgive us, Lord, for compromising the call over your call. Forgive us, Lord, for comprom- sorry, for, for, for compromising your call over our desire. Forgive us, Lord, for, for compromising who you are off of our limited mindset and limited ideology. Forgive us, Lord, for veering away from you in a time of a quarantine, and separation from the things that we become so familiar with. Father, teach us, Lord God, to be your children again. Teach us to see ourselves as your temple. Teach us to see, Lord, that you do not dwell in temples made with man's hands, but teach us, Lord, that you Lord God, dwell in us. Teach us to live a life knowing that you reside in us, that you are in us, that, Lord, we represent you in all that we do. Teach us and guide us, Father. Father, I thank you right now, Lord, for the work that you're doing. Lord, even in this time that we read our word, that, Lord, something is transforming in each and every one of our hearts. Teach us, Father, to be led by your Spirit. But we're seeing right now division and a fracture in the nation of Israel in the text that we're reading. In the same way we see division everywhere we go. But Father, we know, Lord, that you are going to bring it all back together, even in the mess of all this, Lord, that you are bringing things back together. So we thank you for the hope of what is to come. Lord, bless each and every person who's hearing this today, who's had an opportunity to attend this today. Lord, just address our hearts today. Work it in us, Lord God. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Family, God bless you guys. Um, Sometimes we read things that are uncomfortable, and this was uncomfortable because it exposes so much. And there was so much to share in this, but that's where the Lord was leading me today. Um, There's some things that we're going to continue to work through as we finish 1 Kings, but this is what we do. Um, I want to encourage you guys, download the podcast. If you ever want to catch up on the episodes, download the podcast. It's available to you on Spotify and it's available on Apple as well. So I want to encourage you to download the podcast. Also, if you're interested in supporting, become a patron. By becoming a patron, it opens doors for us to create even more content.